0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dark History. Come close, my children. Let me tell you a few tales that involve strange encounters. I mean, the strangest, some might say. And these stories take place in a river, in a forest, or on your very streets. The creatures that haunt these stories are straight from our nightmares. Ooh, sometimes, literally. Today we're talking about some of the spookiest conspiracy theories out there. I'm talking aliens, demons, and ghosts. Ooh! Look, Paul's an alien. Isn't that cute? I love it! What are you, Joan? Psychotic? Hi friends, I hope you're having a wonderful day today. My name is Bailey Sarian and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Dark History. Hi. If you're new, here we believe that history does not have to be boring. I mean, yeah, it might be like tragic and some of it's kind of happy, but either way, it's our dark history. So today, listen, we're talking about conspiracy theories. Oh niche ones, like well-known ones, and some that like maybe you've never heard of and in this much detail before. Yeah, that's the goal, okay? Now, I just want to clarify that when I say conspiracy theories, I mean like the kind that you'd probably hear on the Discovery Channel after 90 Day Fiancé, you know? Weird, creepy, a little unexplained, and fun, right? Not the crazy one that your uncle is like going to ruin Thanksgiving over. It happens every year. And listen, like all this naturally started because of a 2 a.m. internet deep dive. Okay, listen. All about a Japanese Kleenex commercial. I know. I was looking it up. Don't ask. This commercial is from the 80s and it shows a woman Uh, Just a normal ass woman being a woman. And then there's a child like next to her. And we can't figure out is the child dressed as a plant or like an, it has a horn. What plant has a horn? So, anyways, it's a baby thing and a woman, I think. And they're using the Kleenex tissues, which makes sense because that's what the commercial's for. Okay. And then this whole thing, them like, laughing and like, giggling at each other just goes on for 30 seconds too long. And you're like, what the fuck am I watching right now? But it's underscored with this acapella version of a very uncomfortable song. It's weird, especially at 2 a.m. You know, when you wake up at 2 and you're like, no, why? Demons. That's always my first thought. Um, so. The voice is haunting and the whole commercial has no plot. And there's like no reason why this kid should be dressed up as this thing, this plant with a horn. I don't know, but stay with me. Apparently when this first aired, many people felt the same way that I did, okay? They were creeped the hell out by it. So TV stations were flooded with complaints. There were requests to take it off the air. And then the Kleenex, like the brand itself, they started receiving complaints directly. I know, I don't even know what people were complaining though. Like (laughs) that flying tissue moment in the commercial really spooked me out. Then the rumor started, okay? There were whispers that the whole crew who had worked on the commercial were dying. Yeah. And that like the actors who were in this commercial Also, they had been, like, committed to a psychiatric hospital. So, like, something was going on. And some even said that the song itself was a German curse that was translated into into English. (laughs) Sorry, that's goofy. There were claims from people who had heard the commercial, like, come on late at night. And they were like, oh, my God. The song just became distorted. And like, it was being sung by some creepy old woman who was like inside the room with them. It was coming from inside of the house, okay? I guess none of that was true. But I mean, the part where like people complained was true. People were like super disturbed by this innocent little commercial. And like to this day, you can find it by searching for a cursed Japanese Kleenex commercial. Not that you should. I mean, if you want to go for it, live your life, but I will not be taking any responsibility for any ring style curses that will follow you as a result. Paul, you watched it, right, man? You good? All right. But listen, I guess no one actually died from mysterious circumstances, but you know, it's still, I don't know why, but it's still kind of like fun to talk about, right? It is creepy though, the music, come on. And what's up with that kid? Like, what is he supposed to be? Why does it have a horn? Let me know your thoughts down below. So this next story, Loki kept me up for many, many nights, okay? It's about a ghost who haunts, captures, and even sometimes kills children and men late at night. Oh, shit. Many have claimed to see her on their streets, looking for her next victim. Mm-hmm. So be on the lookout, okay? Because she's out there, and she's known by the name of La Llorona. La Llorona is a tale popular in Mexico, Central America, and South America. And it centers around a Mexican ghost la- named La Llorona. And look, there are like so many different types of stories about like different encounters people have had with her. And because there's so many different variations as to like what she's based on, I'm gonna tell you just the most common version, if that's okay with you. Oh, it is? Okay, great. So La Llorona is a story about a woman and I guess her real name was Maria. I know, I thought it'd be like Lorena or something, right? No? Okay. Maria was actually born as the most beautiful woman in all of Mexico. And when she was younger, male suitors would like come to her begging for her to marry them. But mm -mm, she she just denied them all. Nope, get in line, bye. That is, until a dashing young man came into town. He was really good looking too, okay? And he was said to be the only match for her. So Maria, obsessed. She is stigmatized, okay? And she just had to have him. So, the two of them get in love, get married, and then not long after that, they have two beautiful sons. So, it went from zero to 100 really quick. But it's love. Isn't that what love is? Uh Anyway, so now Maria, she's living her life. She's happy. She's married with two children. And then, one day, She catches her husband stepping out on her. Yeah. He rode into town on a horse with another woman. He was cheating on her. The disrespect. I know. Hello. I had your two kids. I'm hot for you. And he just cheats. He did. And worse. He apparently had decided to get with this new woman who he just met because he believed that Maria was no longer beautiful. Devastated. Maria lost it. She lost her fucking mind, okay? I mean, what was she supposed to do now? She was the most beautiful woman in all of Mexico and the mother of his children. Dude, guys suck. <laughs> so the night that like all this happened, Maria, she's trying to go to sleep, right? She's tossing and turning and she can't, she can't do it. So again, she really just fucking snapped. Absolute state of devastation, gone. She decides that she wants her husband, this jackass to feel pain like she was feeling. So Maria went to the bedroom where her two young sons were sleeping and she woke them up. She's like, get the fuck up. Sorry, I just imagine her like, "You better get the fuck up right now." She wakes up her young sons. Get the fuck up! She told them that they were going down to the river, like by their home, for a bath. They're like, "Okay, mom, (laughs) it's two a.m., but all right." So Maria, she brought her sons to the river where she then submerged her boys into the water and drowned them. Right, like one of those crazy Lifetime movies. And then pretty much right after she did this, she like comes to her senses and she was completely overcome with regret. And then she like, absolutely. I would say she lost it, but she already lost it. So she found it and then lost it again and had an emotional breakdown. I mean, she wants to save her kids, but she can't because she killed them. You know, it's too late. So she, Maria, is just sobbing, and sobbing, and sobbing, and sobbing. And this is where she gets the name La Llorona, because it translates to the weeping woman. I know, they couldn't just call her Maria. Maria comes to the conclusion that the only way she can continue forward is if she kills herself. Okay, look, real life. She hit her rock, rock, solid bottom. So she decides to do just that, and she drowns herself. But, okay, listen, wrong move, because Maria had been forbidden to enter the afterlife because of what she's done, killing her kids. So she's stuck in purgatory forever. And like purgatory is a space in between heaven and hell, like where you have to like wait to be sentenced. Well, Maria's fate was like worse than hell. The legend goes that she's stuck on earth, still haunting, searching for children to call her own and join her in purgatory milk it. Little fun fact here, she's known to show up three days after rains. I was like, all right, got to really plan this out. Okay, there's this tale that Maria, you know, La Yorona, she would take ghost form. <clears throat> And she would, (laughs) sorry, that's ghost farm. (laughs) And she would wander around schools and foster homes, just weeping, you know, looking for her kids. And if she saw someone who looked like one of her children, she would cut that feature, stash it out of their face, just In many cultures, children fear her because there have been some instances where La Llorona just is terrorizing them. And I mean, it's not just kids. Sometimes she appears to be a temptress spirit. Ooh, I know it's like ooh, okay. Like she seduces men. Mm-hmm. So if she sees one of them alone late at night, she'll seduce them, and she'll she'll act like a helpless, helpless sad woman. She's walking around just like, sir, I can't open this peanut butter jar. I need your big, strong muscle. And they fall for it every time. She's like, oh, my pickle jar won't open. I need someone with big, strong muscles to help me out. That's how I imagine she does it. Anyway, so as soon as a man hears this cry, you know, they offer they offer her help. And at that moment, when they see her face, it's said to have like morphed into a skull or Crazy looking horse head. Nay, nay. (laughs) That horse head. Nay, nay. You get it? Okay. So even spookier, sometimes if you don't get the horse or the skull, sometimes her face is said to just completely disappear. Usually the men get away, but they're left traumatized for years to come. I don't blame them. Just reminding everybody else of fear. La Llorona. They're like, listen, she's not coming for the kids. She's coming for us. If she mentions a pickle jar, run. Okay. There are other stories about her tempting officers that are roaming like the streets at night. She would walk around in a white coat with a white shawl, covering her head and face. I know, very angelic. She's like, oh. and La Llorona begins engaging, engaging with him. mama, <laughs> mama. Engaging. Until their relationship turns physical. Yeah. And I guess they start going at it, having sex in the streets. I would like to see that happen. You're having sex with a ghost in the street. What is this even getting? What are we doing here? Dark history. In the middle of getting getting it on, okay, this one experience that a police officer had, he's like, take off your shawl. You know, I want to see your beautiful face, sorry. He's like, I want to see your beautiful face, babe. So she's like, oh my God, okay. She smiles, she takes off the shawl, exposing a big old grinning skeleton head. No mask, real head. Could you imagine? He probably still finished though, I would bet. (laughs) I bet you he right then. He's like, oh! Okay. Okay. La Llorona then leans over and gushes <sighs> of icy breath come out of her mouth, <sighs> and it's like this. <laughs> super icy cold breath is coming out. It's almost like she just ate like a whole pack of those Listerine strips, the green ones specifically. Yeah, I know. I know you accidentally grabbed two and you put those in, and you're like. <gasps> Just me, okay. Anyway, the icy cold breath that's coming out, it turns the man frozen solid. That's what he gets. Just putting his dick in someone he just didn't even ask him. Like, he didn't even see their face, but okay. Anyways, he's frozen solid. So then he defrosts and he comes back to life, obviously, absolutely traumatized. To this day, many people like still believe in La Llorona. Like kids are still very terrified of her. People still think they see her roaming, weeping in the streets. But I think the lesson here is don't have sex with ghosts that you just met. Maybe ask them to see their face first. Get some standards, gentlemen. Come on, our Paul's coming for you the next conspiracy theory I'm gonna talk about. It's not really even a conspiracy theory because it's like kind of a, it's a, a hot topic currently, right? And like, it has been for decades. And look, finally, the American government has confirmed what Tom DeLong has been saying for years. Aliens are real. I know, I think we all kind of knew, right? No? You didn't? Oh, okay. Well, honestly, it kind of feels like the world is on fire and everything is ending and everything is bad. So it's like, it's hard to really care. It's like, added to the list. Am I right? Anyways, it all it of course made me wonder like, oh yeah, when did this whole alien craze thing start? I start noodling, you know? Why do we think of them as those big eyed green monsters in like an electric spaceship? Well, what you're about to learn will prove our alien friends are quite mysterious. And also quite terrifying. Can I just tell you my alien theory really quick before anyone else steals it? Okay, great. So here's my idea of what an alien is. Okay, so they're us in the future. They have bigger eyes because they need the bigger eyes for all the screens that we're using, right? Our eyes get big. And then they have those long skinny fingers better to point all these fucking screens with, right? We don't need bones. Everything's a little floppy and skinny because um, we're not walking or anything. And then we have a big brain because of how much knowledge we're gaining from the um, technology and constantly learning. Come for me, you can't, because I think I'm on to something. Right, Paul? Great. Our story today takes place in New Hampshire, 1961, where newlyweds Barney and Betty were starting to like, live their new lives together. So one night they were driving back home from a fun vacation at Niagara Falls. I've never been actually. Is it fun? Anyways, they said it was fun. And the route that they were taking was nothing, it really wasn't anything new to them. But something was different on this trip, okay? During the ride, Betty, she looked out of her, she looked out of the passenger window and she looked to the sky. And she's like, oh my God, I'm cute. She sees a falling star. What do you do when you see a falling star? Oh my God, wishes. And that's what Betty does, wishes. But Betty, looking at the star, she was mistaken. She was like, wait a minute, that star is being real weird. Okay, it was not a shooting star. This shooting star, it just stopped midair. Do you still get the wish? I know, I don't know. But it just stops and it's hanging in the night sky. And Betty's like, what the fuck? What is that? During this time, President Kennedy was telling the public that like, he was gonna put a man on the moon. So everyone was like, fuck yeah, he's doing it. Ooh. So Betty was thinking at the time that it had to be something. She's like, maybe it's related to that, the man on the moon thing. But she was kind of excited to see it. So she tells her husband, Barney, who was driving. She's like, Barney, I love you. You love me. We're a happy happy family." And then she's like, you should pull over. So then they pull over because they want to get a better look at whatever, you know, was in, what was it? I don't know. Once they do so, Barney's like, I'm gonna get my binoculars. And that's when you know it's kind of serious. So Barney was like, I think it's an airplane. And they're just continuing, they're continuing to watch. But then suddenly the object just started moving erratically. Like what? Different directions. What is it doing? You couldn't predict where it was it going to go. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. And then it kind of just hovered in the sky above them. I would be shitting in my pants, I swear. I don't like that. I don't like that. Look, the both of them, they thought it was a little weird. So they just decided to go back into their car and just continue on their drive home only the hovering object thing, it didn't disappear. It's not like it stayed behind. It actually felt like it kind of was following them. And even worse, when they were driving, the thingy was getting closer and closer and like closing in on them. And then that's when Betty and Barney started to panic because I think all of us would be. Barney, he stops the car. He pulls out a pair of binoculars again, I know, I don't know why he just didn't put it around his neck but he put him away and he went to inspect what the hell was stalking him and his wife i mean really so through the binoculars barney saw an object that he thought was about 100 feet away and it was hovering like right above them it was shaped kind of like a flat circular disc and inside he saw something that was even Stranger. He saw around 11 of these greenish gray, human-like creatures driving the strange aircraft. Blue man group, is that you? No, because they were green. Green, Green-gray, but kind of same vibe I would imagine. So look, I can't breathe because I'm getting all worked up over this story. Aliens freak me out. But listen, after watching them for a while, Barney started to get like a sinking feeling. He suddenly believed that like these weird creatures were trying to capture him. So he starts running back to Betty. He's like, Get in the car. So the two of them, they get in the car and Barney just, you know, great. Pedal to the metal, tearing down the freaking road. They are going home. I mean, they were both like really freaked out as they like sped down the highway. They both heard some kind of buzzing tones. It's like, I don't know what kind of buzzing, but like they said buzzing that seemed to be coming from the trunk of their car, but there was like nothing in there that should be buzzing. They're like, we just gotta get home. So they're driving faster, okay? They were both so scared that they were driving in absolute silence. And you know, when you sit in silence, something ain't right, okay? Something ain't right. Either you're in trouble or you're both scared. Then things get a little blurry for the two of them. According to Barney and Betty, the last thing that they remember hearing was that buzzing sound and then seeing an orange orb above them. It could have been like a Burger King sign. Maybe they were, maybe they were, (laughs) maybe they just like didn't know. Anyways, but it was orange. So they remember there was also a roadblock. They also remember discussing like finding somewhere to pull the car into. So eventually they made it back to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and they both like walk into the door and they look at the clock and they're like, oh yeah, it's probably like 3 a.m. because that's the time that they were really expecting to come home from their drive. But they look at the clock, okay? And then they realize that it's actually 5 a.m. And they're like, that can't be right. That means like two hours have just passed. And like, we have no idea where that time went. We have no memory of it. So then they realized when they got home, Barney's shoes were all scuffed up and Betty's dress was torn, like on the titty. And both of their watches had stopped working. They're like, what the fuck? They stepped outside and they look up at the sky and they're just like, Scared out of their mind, okay? They don't want to see that scary-ass little purchase of a website or domain. So after some time passes, the two of them, they felt safe enough to like go to bed. I imagine it would like be really hard to go to bed that night because you just can't remember shit. But what else are you supposed to do? I don't know. The next morning, over a cup of coffee, Barney and Betty, they kind of like debriefed. What happened to them? They both had these super strong feelings that whatever they had seen, last night, uh, maybe they felt like it was still around. So they kept going outside and checking and like looking around, but they didn't see anything. And it it was kind of like, what are we even looking for exactly? Just a flying disc? I don't know, green people? Paul? Because if that's what an alien looks like, I would be a little confused, honestly. I would be like, ah, wasn't expecting that, but okay. Anyway, so then Barney had an idea He told Betty that they should both get a piece of paper, arts and crafts time. They should separate and like draw what they had seen following them the night before. You draw and I'm going to draw. BBs, separate. BB, you drawing BB? BB, I'm drawing BB. Okay, (laughs) that's just a cute like couple's name, BB. So they're kind of just like testing their memory. So when they were done, they got together and they combined the pictures. And that's when they realized that their drawings were pretty much the same thing. I know. Both of them had drawn a long, flat aircraft, the one that they believed had been following them. I don't want to discredit them, but I mean, you could just draw like a circle. Is it just a circle? You know? Okay. so. Barney, he did not want to tell anybody what happened, okay? I mean, he didn't want the stigma or embarrassment to follow them in their small town. Everyone knew everyone's business. And back then, saying you saw an alien made you sound crazy. And you don't want to be labeled crazy. Small towns don't like that. Most of all, he didn't want to speak up, not just because people didn't believe in the aliens, but... Barney and Betty were an interracial couple. Now this was 1961. And as a black man, Barney may have like been trying to avoid any additional negative attention. Plus, both Barney and Betty had already been married once. And that probably doesn't sound like a big deal to you and I, but back then, getting remarried? Not I. They had reportedly shown prejudice against Barney when they got together. Betty though, you know, she was itching to tell people about this alien experience, okay? She didn't want to keep their experiences secret, you know? And it's like, what? What do us women do best? Telling secrets. We love to tell people secrets that we're not supposed to tell anybody. Don't lie. When you got a secret, you can't wait to tell somebody, right? Anyway, so like Betty's like, oh my God, I'm, I don't need to tell someone, okay? She had some of the best gossip of all time. No one could beat her, so she's like, "Who do I call? I gotta tell someone." Her sister. She's like, "She's my sister. She's not a friend." So you told me not to tell my friends. That's your fault. Also, apparently, Betty's sister Janet had like seen some shit around ten years ago. I don't know what's going on with this family, but they've been <laughs> they've been seeing shit for a while. So whatever she had saw, it sounded a lot like the aircraft that Betty had saw. Okay. So Betty naturally is like, dude, if anyone's going to understand, it's my sister. So after listening to Betty's story, Jeanette went like went to work figuring out who exactly they should report this to. Like, who do you call? I know you're all going to say Ghostbuster. <laughs> you done? OK, great. Who do you really call? Exactly. OK, Pentagon. Are they in the yellow pages? I don't know. FBI. I don't know. Men in black, what's their number? So, Betty convinced Barney that they should ask some people for advice. (sighs) Poor Barney, he's like, please, no. But babe, I have to, it's my experience. I know how we are, we win every time. Anyway, so they decide, okay, if we're gonna tell someone, we should maybe talk to our neighbors. In between all of these conversations, they were convinced to maybe go under hypnosis, okay? So they believe that this was like the only way that they would ever get to figure out what happened during those lost hours, those two hours that were just gone. They find a hypnosis person, they go into separate rooms for separate hypnosis sessions, okay? not in the same room. Once under hypnosis, they both revealed some like, terrifying shit. That's the best way I could put it. Betty in particular. There's even an audio recording of the hypnosis session and it's freaky. I, I wasn't afraid. I, I was afraid when I saw the men in the road. Men in the rope. <laughs> I've never been so afraid in my life. Tell me about the men in the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right now you're safe here i'm like this is a lot I'm scared <laughs> so betty had this memory of barney pulling over the car okay she's in hypnosis a memory comes forward she's like um i remember barney pulling over the car She then remembered both had stepped out of the car and onto the road. And in front of them, they saw like some kind of shadows of what they thought were these very tall, somewhat scary men. Behind them, there was like this fiery orange colored orb. Burger King, I'm telling you. Betty turned to Barney and asked him, like, are we getting robbed? Who are they? And Barney just looked at her and said, quote, it's them. I'm like Barney. You know these guys. You met them before, Barney. Good, told you. Anyway, so these strange, greenish-gray creatures approached Betty and Barney, and one of them took Betty by the hand and like guided her through the forest. Yeah, they're going through the forest, and he's like, "Come onto my spaceship." Betty recalls losing consciousness right? And then she wakes up and she's inside the spaceship. When they woke up, Barney and Betty were immediately separated and taken into different rooms. This is on the ship. It was clear right away that these creatures, they wanted to examine their bodies, but like not in a so hot way. So Betty recalls these creatures having her lie flat, face down on the examination table. And these creatures, they pressed all these like weird tools against her body. And then she says that they took skin samples. Okay. Once they're done with their skin sampling, they lead Betty into another room. And there, this part is like, oh. There, she's introduced to a creature named or called the Examiner. I was like, okay, what's this, you know? Examiner of what, alien daddy? (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's not funny. So this examiner guy, alien, he tells her not to worry. He then, this is where it gets a little freaky because he turns her around. He then unzips her dress. Yeah. Then he tells her to lay down on the examination table face up. Listen, I was like, what is going on right now? I wanna know. Okay, but it wasn't good because he examines. <laughs> sorry, Paul. I'm getting I'm imagining dirty things with your kind. Let me erase it. I apologize. So he examines her for a little bit and then he turns around and he tells her not to worry. He's like, we're just gonna do one more little test on you, okay, sweetie? Close those eyes. So when he turns around, he's holding a huge syringe, like a big-ass needle. And he then says he's going to insert this needle into her navel. I was like, no, he is not. No, I was into this. Until you you did that shit, Mr. Alien. Oh, examiner. Okay, so right away, obviously, because all of us would be freaking out. Betty was freaking out. This creature examiner guy, he takes a syringe and he slowly like insert it into her navel. Ouch. Benny starts crying out in pain, you know? She's telling them that it hurts. And then another creature comes to her. She's yelling on the table. She's like, no. The creature comes to her and he stands by the top of her head and he tells her not to worry. She won't feel any pain. And he puts his like creepy ass little creature hand, probably looks like this or some shit, over her face, right? And then that's it. That's the last time, or that's the last memory she has um, like on the spaceship. This is all what she said during her hypnosis. So I believe it, why not? You got nothing to lose. I believe it, Betty. While Betty was recounting the last horrifying detail, she also told the doctor that she still had soreness like in her naval area. She also claimed that when she asked one of the creatures like where he was from, he showed her a star map and he's like, we're from over here, showing her on that map. When Betty was doing the hypnosis, they asked her to like recreate the strange star map and she did. Okay, so I looked at the strange star map right now and honestly, it looks like a dick. It looks like she drew a dick and balls and it was all over the universe. Betty, I don't know if I can get behind you on this one. He just drew a dick. Really? It's kind of beautiful. Really? Betty? Wow. Art. After Barney and Betty came out of hypnosis, their stories, they ended up being compared by a man named Dr. Simon. And even though like he had supervised the hypnosis, Dr. Simon was not convinced of what they uncovered. He thought the entire abduction story was a shared delusion based on a nightmare that Betty had. Uh Oh, he also pointed out that there were differences in their stories. For example, Barney said the creatures who abducted them, like, didn't have mouths. No mouths. While Betty said that they spoke English. Okay. So at this point, like you might be thinking this whole alien encounter, it sounds familiar. I mean, it's been around. It was like the hardest thing in the media at the time. And since then, a lot of UFO encounters have been very similar to what they reported. There's this theory called accidental awareness. And when I heard this, I was like, wait a minute, I've never heard of this before. And it kind of makes sense because an analyst named David B. Forrest has pointed out something very interesting. The stories of alien abductions are like actually very similar to what you would experience in an operating room when you're being put under anesthesia. Okay, but think about it. It sounds a little kooky, but listen, you're under a bright light, being poked and like prodded. People are speaking English, but when you're getting put under, it's like, are they speaking English? Cause it's kind of like You're like, I think that's English. And then you just respond to the doctor, yeah, do it. And then you wake up with big tits. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Okay, But listen, even Barney's version of aliens not having mouths could be explained by the surgical masks that doctors wear. The greenish gray color of aliens, same color of like the scrubs that would be worn by everyone in the operating room It's kind of making sense. Barney was asked if the alien encounter felt anything like the tonsillectomy he had gone through, and he confirmed it was, quote, like that, end quote, but his eyes were closed. Wow. Accidental awareness is something that is actually still studied today, but usually it doesn't come in the form of remembering alien encounters. It's typically about any situation where a patient is aware while a surgery is going on, which honestly sounds more awful than an alien abduction. But many who experience this live with like PTSD and experience flashbacks. And like sometimes these are brought on by something that might stimulate their brain in the same way, you know? So maybe a bright light sent Barney into a flashback of the surgery he'd had, and he later remembered it as like an alien abduction. I, don't, I mean, we don't know. Maybe he really was abducted by aliens and that just triggered a flashback. I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm just like talking. 60 years later, and the jury is honestly still out on what like Barney and Betty experienced that night. To this day, there's a plaque. Yeah, there's a cute little plaque like um, on the New Hampshire uh, road where the incident took place. Send me a picture if you see it. Throughout the years, Betty has been said to be visited by aliens numerous times. And slash dark history. If you're like me at all, the word accidental awareness made you immediately think of sleep paralysis. I think it does, it goes, it makes sense, right? If you've never heard of it or like experienced sleep paralysis, lucky you. Okay, because what I'm about to tell you seems so out there. You're going to be like, Mm-mm, no way. No, but it's true. But it affects 40% of the population and there's no known cure. Slap my ass and call me a donkey because today I'm talking about sleep paralysis. do 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 Okay. My breath. Sleep paralysis. It varies from person to person, but the defining symptom that everyone has in common is Atonia. I know it sounds like a really cute name. Atonia. Atonia, come here. Made for a dog. Come here, Atonia. No, no, no. A girl. Atonia, it's time for school. Give me credit if you name your kid that. Thank you. Atonia is the technical term for like when you're suddenly not able to move or speak. Most often say it happens when you feel like you've just woken up from like being asleep. You're very groggy, everything's heavy, and you're not fully like, you're just not like awake yet. But you are. Imagine you wake up. You can see everything in your room, but and everything looks normal and everything looks normal. But you can't move your body at all. It's horrifying. People who experience sleep paralysis sometimes also report like difficulty breathing and even chest pains. Like that's terrifying enough, but it is also usually accompanied by something, by seeing something, okay? It's spooky. What people see can vary, but it always is something absolutely nightmarish. If you've heard the phrase sleep paralysis demon, then you already know where I'm going. To most people who experience sleep paralysis, they see what like they describe as a demon, a succubus, an imp, or Brad, their neighbor. He's always at the end of my bed. Anyways, so this is like when they see this thing, they can't move. And this is accompanied by like a feeling of overwhelming fear, dread, and suffocation. Yeah, so it's not really a good time, I would say. Now, people can like really see a lot of different things when they're experiencing this, but across time, literally across time in various cultures, many people report on seeing the same thing, a demon. But the weird thing is that the incubus phenomenon has been around for like ever, like as long as we've known. There are many sleep demons that appear throughout different cultures that are pretty similar. During the middle ages in Europe, there was one extremely common nightmare that was written about. People would wake up and find a quote, supernatural entity sitting on their chest, attempting to take a shit on them. (laughs) I'm just kidding, not that kind of demon. This is a different demon. It sits on their chest and it like attempts to suffocate them. So then a little later, during the enlightenment, a man named Henry Fuseli, who was a Swiss English painter. He created a piece called The Nightmare. Oh, it's spooky. And this painting shows something super similar to like what all of these people for years have reported seeing an impish creature perched on the chest of a sleeping woman. On top of that, in this painting, there's also a terrifying horse in the background. Terrifying horse, which I don't think has anything to do with sleep paralysis, but like, is that you, your Reina? Girl, are you hiding in the painting? She was hiding in there, it's her, I think. You can't prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, exactly. Anyways, la Ureina. All the way around the freaking globe is Brazil, right? There's a creature that's known for standing on people's chests, haunting them in their sleep, and it's called Pisidira. pisadira. Piss adira. Come on, tell me like there's like correlation. Um, pisadira. Pisadira has been described as a quote. A crone with long fingernails who lurks on rooftops and tramples on the chest of those who sleep on a full stomach. Dun, dun, dun. I love cereal before I go to bed though. I mean, look, it's like, there are just a lot of coincidences, right? In a part of Canada called New Finland, they call the sleep paralysis demon an eggrog. I think that's how you say eggrog. I don't know, you guys always let me know. And in Egypt, they believe that this demon is caused by gin, not the drink. I know. But too much gin does make me feel like a demon is squatting on my chest. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all day. (laughs) Okay. Gin are evil spirits that traditionally take snake form. Oh. But apparently they can also like become scorpions, lizards, and even humans. And then they get freaky because even these, the djinn can engage in sexual affairs with humans and produce offspring. Hot, I don't know how else to put it. Like, okay, what are we doing here? Oh, let me tell you my story because I unfortunately have experienced sleep paralysis One time, and I hope that's it, never again, because it was the scariest thing I've ever felt. All right. So I was home alone, sleeping in my bed. Just being cute, thoughts and prayers. And I I wake up, right? I wake up. It had to be like two or three in the morning. And I could not move my body. I was like, okay, I'm awake. Uh, You know, I was like, move. Nothing was happening. I was like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm just laying there, like, this is weird. And then I hear the stairs creaking. It was like somebody was taking a step. It was like, Urgh. like somebody heavy. I swear to you. And I couldn't move. I was like, I was like, someone coming. And then I could hear it getting closer and like coming up the stairs. He was coming and I was like, oh my God, wake up, wake up. But I couldn't wake up. It was so stupid. I was like, listen. And then one of the things I was also thinking was like, thank God I locked my door. That demon or whatever it is can't get in. Whatever it was, it stopped right outside the door of the room that I was sleeping in. And I was home alone. Did I say that? Because I was. And I swear to you, I was just laying there like, please don't... Blah, blah, blah and I could hear my door thing jiggling. I don't want to experience this again. And I swear it was like, whatever it is was big and heavy and it was coming towards me and I couldn't move, okay? And that's my review, thank you. I give it two out of five stars, <laughs> would not recommend. I give it two stars cause it was kind of thrilling. Like I felt like I was on a horror film. I was like, oh, I get it now. <sighs> so that's my experience. And I know some of you out there have had the same thing. So as scary as it is, because it's terrifying, nobody gets hurt or has been killed by sleep paralysis, right? Well, no. Oh my God. Because let me introduce you to the worst phrase since sleep paralysis. It's called sudden unexpected death. Zip recruiter, the smartest way to hire. In the early 1980s, sudden unexpected death syndrome caused the death of 117 Hmong refugees. So... That was over 100 people who died in their sleep, no cause, no explanation, dead. So of the victims, 116 were men and one was a woman. And all of them were in good health at the time of their death. Their median age was 33 and all died within two years of arriving in the United States. So it was like very similar stories. Doctors were absolutely stumped Like what was causing this case of sons among the refugees? I mean, hence the name, Sudden Unexpected Death Syndrome. They could have just called it like, oh, I lost a nail. Since medical doctors couldn't explain the event from a physical point of view. Dr. Shelley Adler, who has a PhD in folklore and, ethno medicine so she studies the phenomenon of suns to try and answer like why why does this happen from a cultural lens because it might make sense right just like the many other cultures we've already talked about the monk people also had a name for the sleep paralysis demon dab sog and just like the others dab sog is believed to be like an evil spirit which can take the form of a creature and it lays on people's chest and then it suffocates them in their sleep. I mean, at their most vulnerable, you're sleeping, you're having dreams and wishes and then suffocated. So some of the refugees, when they spoke to doctors, they mentioned having um, experienced like sleep paralysis happening or even being visited by the Dab Sog. So Dr. Adler decided to study the Hmong people and their relationship to Dab Sog. So I guess there was like a belief that if the Hmong people didn't worship their gods properly and perform, you know, certain rituals or honor the memory of their ancestors, they would be left unprotected from the Dab and Sog. I know it's a lot of pressure. You're like, damn, I got a lot to do today though. So once a person sees the dog, they would need to see a shaman in order to make it go away before it killed them. Unfortunately, because the majority of these Hmong refugees were randomly placed throughout the United States, most of them did not have like any access to a shaman or like any type of elder from their community. I mean, they barely had community at this point. The stress of being far from home and then seeing like an evil spirit at night with no means to fix it. It's enough to up anyone's stress levels. So after her years of research, Dr. Adler came to the conclusion that it was this type of like stress, which most likely led to the deaths of the refugees. And she claimed that the stress of cultural displacement and resettling in the United States, along with the powerlessness they felt and war trauma that they were still dealing with led to the men dying of sons i mean that kind of makes sense like your body is just like stressed the fuck out and overworking and you know i could see that and she believed that if they had been able to rely on cultural practices to alleviate some of the stress like maybe i don't know they could have saw a shaman the deaths may have like not happened at all another researcher this one like, studied the cases of 45 of the Hmong's son's death, found that 39 of the men had a strong belief and fear of evil spirits before their death. Spooky, I know. So it only reinforced the same conclusion that Dr. Adler had come to. Now, there is like a conflicting theory that their deaths were caused by a genetic cardiac arrhythmia science. Someone brings in the science idea and they're like, eh. Well, cardiac arrhythmia is like a condition that's very rare, but it's more widespread in Southeast Asia where the Hmong people had came from. So I don't think these two theories oppose each other, you know, like both can be true at the same time, right? These people could have had a pre-existing heart condition that wouldn't have like been an issue at all, if not for the crazy amounts of stress they were under because of the freaking dab saw. High levels of anxiety can contribute to actual physical conditions. And that is exactly what like, could have happened here. There's actually a study that is connecting the, the link between anxiety and the physical response. And it's something called the nocebo effect. It might sound familiar because it's the opposite of the placebo effect. Nocebo, placebo, that's cute. So just like a person can experience positive results despite not receiving like um, actual medication, like with the placebo effect. Patients who are told they are being exposed to something negative can experience like real life negative side effects. So like if you're thinking bad, you're gonna get bad. If you're thinking good, you're gonna get good. It's not the same mindset, right? Patients who are made to feel anxious by a doctor before a procedure will then require like a higher dose of opiates to feel better after surgery. So when a population of people have been told that they can be killed by like a negative spirit, it makes sense that they could experience real negative like physical effects, especially when you consider that many of these people would have seen people around them dying after having an encounter with that exact spirit. Now, of course, like modern science has an explanation for like why sleep paralysis happens. It's when people are experiencing a REM state, but out of order. Stick with me here, I know. Sleep, Mimi's yes. So while you're in deep sleep, in other words, REM sleep, your body pretty much shuts down your ability to move, but you don't know it because you're asleep. So you're essentially kind of paralyzed for a minute. And it's actually a good thing, it is because like, if you're having a dream that you're jumping out of a window, you don't wanna be jumping out of a window in real life. Maybe you're being chased by a bear or Brad, the neighbor. Another thing about sleep is that the body is designed to stay unconscious while you sleep, obviously. And many of us dream while we're asleep, which is technically a hallucination. So sleep paralysis can be explained scientifically as a result of these functions happening in the wrong order. Like you're still paralyzed and still hallucinating, you're still having a dream, but your body, no, your mind is awake. It's like your brain hasn't fully caught up to the awake part yet. And when it eventually does catch up, the sleep paralysis ends, which is why most accounts of sleep paralysis only last for a few brief, terrifying moments. A sleep paralysis demon, whether it appears as a witch, a ghost, an animal, or Brad, is what's called a hypnopompic hallucination. So this is also known as the incubus phenomenon, but no Brandon Boyd involved. I know, bummer for us. According to Dr. Mark Molendijk, a psychologist at Leiden University in the Netherlands, the incubus phenomenon is rare. I mean, people like aren't reporting that they have sleep paralysis and like see their high school theater teacher yelling at them because they forgot their tap routine. You know, people just don't seem to be seeing goofy shit or even like scary animals during sleep paralysis. It's always just demons. Rude. Ultimately, science can only guess because the truth is no one knows exactly what causes sleep paralysis. What we do know is that people whose sleep cycle is disrupted by jet lag or, like, or shift work can be at higher risk for sleep paralysis. But there's like no solid scientific explanation for why it's happening in the first place. So we have to turn to the occult. I know it seems like a big jump, but maybe it is demons. But this is just a very long way of saying that nightmares can indeed kill you. Sorry, girl, it's over. We're all done, so. The experience of waking up unable to move or breathe and seeing like a scary ass monster hovering over you is timeless, like a diamond, just timeless, breathtaking, a worldwide phenomenon. Being a human, it's just so special, isn't it? We've got opposable thumbs, logical thinking, and a universal nightmare demon that like sits on our chests every night. But hey, look, look, look. Take comfort in knowing that it might not happen. Instead, aliens might abduct you on your drive home, and a crying lady ghost might morph into a horse when you try to help her open a jar of peanut butter. Plenty can come and like get you before the sleep demons have a chance. You're slippery when wet. Anyway, you guys, I hope you have a happy spooky season. And thank you for listening. Next week, we'll be talking about someone many of you have requested a follow-up episode on. And we see your comments, okay? Next week, we'll be talking about the most mythical man in all of Russia. What's that song? (laughs) It's kind of a bop. Oh, he's known for being close to the Royal Romanov family. And I hate to burst your bubble, but he never had a talking bat named Bartok or a kick-ass musical number. Honestly, a bop. If they played that in the club, (laughs) you'd catch me. (laughs) Okay, but I will say this. He does have one hell of a story. So what you're gonna need to do is tune in next week because we're doing an episode on Rasputin. Mm -hmm. Hey Rasputin, can I call you Spute, Sputie, Putin? I hope you learned something new in today's story. Don't take candy from strangers. And remember, you can join me over on my YouTube where you can watch these episodes on Thursday after the podcast airs, because maybe you want to see what I look like. Here I am. And then while you're there, what you're also going to want to do is catch my murder mystery and makeup because it's like true crime and there's makeup. Great. I hope to see you there. I can't wait. Now, I'd love to hear your guys' reactions to today's story. So make sure to use the hashtag darkhistory over on social media so I can stalk you and see what you're doing. I will get my binoculars out. I am serious. Now let's read what our viewers have to say. Dara Temple had a little suggestion for a new show. Quote, I can picture an animated series of Bailey Sarian and she's got Joan and Paul with her, so cool. The universe has got to let it happen, end quote. Honestly, I love this and I support this decision. I will only do the series if the people who animated Daria or Beavis and Butthead can do it for me. Um, I hope to see some emails when I get home, thank you. Thank you. And Paul, too. We all got to be there. Linda, Linda Bet 4254, left a comment on our fast food episode saying, quote, there is actually an app called McBroken, which maps all the McDonald's in your area and lets you know if the ice cream machine is broken, unquote. You know what, Linda? Linda. Linda, listen, I knew about this, but I was trying to keep it on the DL because I was like, if everyone knows the app's going to crash, it's barely hanging on. But you know what? I should stop being an asshole and be more like Linda and let the people know. But then the lines are going to be longer, Linda. Linda, come on. Now I'm going to have to wait longer. Okay, well, thanks, Linda. Appreciate you. You're a gift. Amy Angerer 6966. Oh had a suggestion for an episode. Quote, Nellie Bly needs to be a dark history subject. She wasn't the darkness, but she exposed so many horrific underbellies as one of the first female investigative reporters. Her topics would make an awesome episode. End quote. Wow, Amy. I did a quick little search on Nellie. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. "Asylum expose came up." And Amy, honey, listen, I'm intrigued. Give me a pot of coffee going, you know, and some donuts. I'm in. Dark History is an Audio Boom original. This podcast is executive produced by Bailey Sarian, Hi, Junia McNeely from Three Arts, Kevin Grush, and Matt Enlow from Maiden Network. A big thank you to our writers, Joey Scavuzzo, Katie Burris, Allison Filobos, and me, Bailey Sarian. Production lead, Brian Jaggers. Research provided by Xander Elmore and the Dark History Researcher Team. And a special thanks to Jessica Charles. And I'm your host, Bailey Sarian. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You make good choices, and I'll be talking to you next week. Goodbye!